Welcome to Have You Heard, the AABP podcast. My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich, and today's podcast is sponsored by Beringer Ingelheim, uh, who is a, a supporter of our conference, and we're going to talk about uh, their support of our both our annual conference and our recent grad conferences. But first, I'd like to introduce our guests, and our first guest today is Dr. Luciano Cachetta. Luciano, do you want to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, thanks for the invitation, Dr. Grinich. Um, so uh, my name is Luciano Cachetta. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Minnesota uh, in the Rubent Group. Uh, and I have a focus area on my research on metabolic diseases and had like, I've not, I'm from Brazil, but I did a lot of my training in the U.S. So I've been at Cornell, been at Colorado State until I arrived here in Minnesota five years ago. Wonderful. And our next guest is Dr. Kurt Vlietstra. Kurt, you want to introduce yourself, please? Yes. Thank you, Fred. Um, my name is Dr. Kurt Vlietstra. I'm a dairy professional services veterinarian with Beringer Ingelheim, and I've been with BI for a little over six years. I practiced for about 14 years in southwest Minnesota, southeast South Dakota, and uh, in that part of the country. Well, great. Really appreciate both of you, uh, and I think this is going to be a really neat podcast to talk about some uh, some research uh, and a new uh, uh, BI product. Uh, but but Kurt, let's start off. And you know, Berenger Ingelheim has been a great partner to AABP. Uh, they support our welcoming reception at both the annual and recent grad conference recently in Long Beach, and then we're coming up on our recent grad conference in Knoxville next February. Uh, also uh, supports our Stampede 5K. Uh, they have done that since its inception, uh, which supports our Amstead Scholarship Fund. That's always a big, fun event. Uh, I always give an excuse and say I can't run it because I'm working now, so I get out of it. But, Kurt, can you talk a little bit about, you know, you're both AABP members, but talk a little bit about this sponsorship. Uh, it's important to AABP members and, and cattle veterinarians. Yeah, of course. And and so veterinarians, whether they're practicing, doing research, or teaching, they're obviously important to the success of, of BI. Um Practitioners and and those other veterinarians play a critical role in the health and the well-being of cattle, and uh, really helping the cattle industry to provide safe and healthy meat and milk for the consumer. And as an organization, ABP is not only a voice for the bovine veterinary profession, but also, as you mentioned, provides outstanding continuing education for cattle veterinarians. And BI is happy to support those efforts. And uh, we really appreciate it. So on behalf of AABP and all of our members, I want to personally thank uh, Beringer Ingerheim for sponsoring uh, those events. It's, it certainly uh, uh, gives us an opportunity. What I always tell our members is that that support gives us the opportunity to hold those events uh, and enable us to network, which is really a great part of our conferences. And, and uh, we look forward to that continued sponsorship. So thank you very much. Luciano, as we kick off here, you know that the title of this podcast is A Successful Lactation Starts at Dry Off. Dry Off is the beginning of the next lactation cycle. We like to think of that in the in the dairy industry. So let's talk a little bit about why is that uh, transition period so important? Yeah, Brad, like this is like uh, when you ask this question for an academic that works with transition period, this could be uh, – 
40 minute long answer, right? So, but I'll try to make it short. Um, the transition period and like, like you said, including the, the period that dry off is just, and as the title says, it's just setting up the cow for success. Uh, there is a lot of, as veterinarians, that's actually one of the reasons that I focus my research on metabolic diseases and the transition period is the fact that when I was in practice, most of the problems and the cows that I was treating was metabolic diseases in cows in the like early postpartum. And uh, I just, it's not that I got tired of doing it, but it's just that I got frustrated by doing fixing the same problem over and over again, then I decide to research. And then when you go deep into that, you just see that if that transition and that period when we give cows uh, uh, good comfortable bedding and like good welfare, uh, they just transition well, they don't have problems. And if they don't have problems, they will get pregnant faster, uh, they will produce more milk, and you have, uh, like the title says, a successful lactation. And then in this uh, project that we're going to talk more about uh, in this podcast too, also goes back to we classically have been looking into the three weeks before calving and three weeks after calving, whichever you want to uh, time points you want to look at. But this brings us back to the point when we dry them off and like giving them comfortable uh, conditions after dry off and like giving them a comfortable dry off. It's also very important for that success when they calve again. And what are uh, the biggest challenges uh, that we think cows might face at dry off? Well, I, I say often I'm, I'm no cow and they might have a different <laughs> answer uh, than, than this, but it's, it's no, it's no secret. You know, you can go out into a barn and look at the dry cows and listen to the dry cows during those first couple of days and realize pretty quickly that they're not happy. And so there's, I mean, there's a few obvious challenges that come to mind. Uh, you know, the cow is going to go through a nutritional, uh, social, and behavioral change when she transitions from a milking cow to a dry cow. And as, as a consequence of how we manage cows on modern dairies, most of the time this is done abruptly, meaning that, uh, you know, a cow is going to go from being milked two or three times per day for the better part of a year to not being milked at all. Again, so that, that creates some behavioral changes. She's going to go into a new pen and have social changes. She's going to be eating a different ration. Um, so all those stressors. And then kind of to compound those challenges with continued improvements in management, you know, facility design, husbandry, um, all those types of things, and genetics. Uh, and kind of a recently emerging problem is cows needing to be dried off while they're still producing a lot of milk. You know, as, as we've started to have conversations with producers now trying to support um, a new product in this area, we find out that it's not uncommon for cows to come to the end of their lactation, producing 80, 90, 100, and, and sometimes even more pounds of milk per day. And this can create problems both in terms of cow comfort, but also cow health. Yeah, and so what are some ways that producers can reduce milk production uh, during dry off? Yeah, there, there are multiple ways that uh, the producer can, and they have been using to, to decrease milk production at dry off. So a couple ways that uh, are very common and you see in some places they will decrease the milking frequency. So Let's say they are at three wax milking, they'll go down to two wax or two wax go to one wax. 
uh, one time a day. Uh, so they'll do that, those differences, and that will decrease milk production in a one or two week uh, period of time, about like 20%. Uh, those are those are effective. Uh, however, it it gets into a little bit of management, right? Like you have you have this special group of cows that don't go to the parlor very often, so it can be tricky sometimes. Uh, other methods that are very common and we uh, many people take advantage of is decreasing either the quantity or the quality of the feed. So they will either feed them a little less or more often what we see is feeding a lower quality diet in the sense like less energy or just uh, a diet that does not support that higher milk production that those cows have. And then doing those uh, activities and those strategies, you can decrease significantly like by a third and sometimes almost like uh, two thirds of milk production of those cows in a two week period. But then similar to what I just uh, suggested before with the decreasing mucus frequency, uh, in this case, you also have this added uh, work of different diets, uh, feeding a different diet. It, it can be stranded on that or also not having food in front of the cows for a longer period of time, which can lead you to other problems. Um, there was also some research and some work done mostly in Europe with some prolactin releasing inhibitors. So those would be drugs that would be given to the, uh, to the, the, to the cow and that will inhibit prolactin and the uh, milk production. So that's also very effective, uh, but they, I haven't seen those product, products on the market and uh, uh, it's definitely not common here in the US. Uh, and then um, if you have some, like in this case, what we use in this trial, some acidogenic boluses at dry off that will potentially decrease milk production by decreasing dry matter intake uh, and also decreasing uh, uptake of glucose by the mammary gland. Uh, that decreases milk production, and it's uh, what we use in the trial that we're going to talk more uh, coming forward. Yeah, very interesting, uh, Luciano. So let's talk a little bit about what is Bovacalc Dry and how does it work? Yeah, so first, Bovacalc Dry is a nutritional supplement. It's a, a mineral bolus. Um, it's, it's for cows that are transitioning from the lactating to the dry period, given at or within a few hours of that final milking when they're dried off. And it, in a nutshell, it's made to address this problem that we've been discussing of high producing milk and to, to help a cow produce less milk um, during those first few days as she enters a dry period. And so there's three active ingredients in bovacalc dry that all work together to lower the pH of a cow. And what this does, because it acts so quickly, it um, it actually impairs milk production, milk synthesis at the udder. So it works very quickly. And when you have decreased milk production, this in turn reduces udder pressure and milk leakage. And um, during, you know during those first few hours after the cow is dried off. And lastly, there's a mild reduction in the cow's appetite to help her transition to that lower intake, you know, lower quality ration that we've talked about. Kurt, 
many of our uh, listeners are familiar with BovaCalc. It's 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 uh, uh, a product that they have used. So how is BovaCalc Dry different than um, BovaCalc? There's there's two main differences, and really only one one key difference in terms of the bolus formulation. That's the third ingredient. So BovaCalc has two forms of calcium in it. And we focus more with bovacalc being a source of calcium, obviously. And we, we probably don't talk enough about how important it is that the two forms of calcium also affect a cow's pH that really help a cow to maintain her own calcium levels through transition as a fresh cow. So those two ingredients, calcium chloride, calcium sulfate, remain in bovacalc dry. We don't need to supplement a dry cow with calcium. But because that bolus has been tested and researched significantly, we trust the performance. We know what it does when we put it into a cow. So leaving calcium sulfate and calcium chloride as kind of the base, then add a third acidogenic salt to bovacalc dry, and that's ammonium chloride. And so the, the addition of ammonium chloride is really the only difference. I mean, there's different levels of the two forms of calcium, but the main difference is the addition of that, that third acidogenic salt, ammonium chloride. But now one of the big differences between the two in terms of protocols and dosage is bovacalc is meant to be given one at a time. You give one bolus at freshening and another bolus maybe 8 to 12, up to 24 hours later, depending on the farm management. With bovacalc dry, it's very important that we give two boluses at the same time to really maximize that acidogenic potential uh, of the product to lower the pH quickly of the cow and, and almost immediately impact milk production. And, and Kurt, if I could follow up with that, so you said you give two boluses at one time with bovacalc dry. Mm -hmm. Is that a single administration of two boluses or does the producer need to repeat that treatment? Yeah, thanks for asking. No, you, you give two at the same time. And, and on label, um, it's given at dry off or 8 to 12 hours before, you know, depending on farm management, likely the last milking before the cows go into the parlor the last time to be dried off. But two are given at the same time. Luciano, let's talk a little bit about the research uh, behind this product that you were involved with. Uh, Tell us more about the BovaCalc dry study and walk us through the objective, the results, and the conclusion uh, from that study. Sure. Yeah, so uh, BovaCalc dry was actually studied before in Europe, before they, they arrived in the U.S., uh, and then there's a lot of things that they did that, like, looking to uh, dry matter intake and milk production, they were giving them a little at late uh, late lactation just to check that milk production and all those things. So we didn't do any of that in the U.S. So uh, the project we uh, worked with in, in collaboration with BI uh, for both cow dry in the U.S., uh, we did in commercial farms here in the upper Midwest, uh, and our objectives were to describe the impact of the bolus on the dry period intermemory infections. So if we have new infections, cure or prevalence of intramammary infections at calving. Uh, we also look into the, the following lactation uh, on somatic cell count, uh, clinical mastitis, milk production, herd removal, all those things. Um, and then as a side project, when we're doing like a, a side objective, we also look into the behavior 
uh, on line time and, and uh, rumination after application administration of the, the bolus. And that reason we did that because was uh, by convenience, one of the farms we enrolled had uh, uh, rumination and activity tags, so we could get that information. And I think the, the most important thing that we did in this, uh, we enrolled enough cows and we did an economic analysis to address the impact of both cow dry uh, on when we used it. So uh, pretty simple study design, uh, like Kurt mentioned before, uh, the, we use it on label. We were giving uh, both two bowls of both cow dry at dry off for cows, uh, and that makes it easier on logistics of the team going to the farm. So that's what we did. We were administering all the bolus, and the cows were being dried off uh, on a blanket uh, dry cow therapy. So all the cows were uh, getting intramembrane antibiotics and intramembrane. Uh, internal teeth sealant. So that was to not have any differences between groups. So after doing that, we enrolled cows in four, four herds in the upper Midwest. So we enrolled them at dry off, give them both the cow dry, and then we follow them forward uh, during the dry period and up to uh, 300 days postpartum in the subsequent lactation. So uh, some of the results, uh, I'll try to go kind of in the order that I gave some of the objectives that we have. Uh, there was no difference in the new intramembrane infection. Uh, we didn't notice we were collecting milk samples before dry off and after dry off. So there's not, not a lot of difference on that. Uh, the same things for dry cow, the cure, intramembrane infections cure or the prevalence in, after calving, not a lot of difference when we look into culture results. However, uh, uh, what we notice is the cows that were in the bovicoc, the bolus group and the bovicoc dry group, when they were compared to cows in the control group, which didn't receive any acidogenic uh, bolus, they have lower uh, somatic cell count uh, and log somatic cell count. Um, both of them, uh, they work to go together on the first two tests. Uh, those animals uh, had those lower somatic cell count and what is very interesting we look into what was the prevalence of uh, subclinical mastitis which we define in this case having more than uh, 200,000 somatic cells uh, test and there was a 10% difference on the control cows when compared to bovicalc so just for an example bovicalc dry was about 20% of the cows had subclinical mastitis in their first test versus control having 30%. The other thing that we look at into, which is very important for, um, for the producers and how they, they will look at is the clinical mastitis uh, incidence uh, during um, the whole lactation. And there was a decrease in clinical mastitis uh, that was identified by farm personnel throughout um, lactation, which at the end of lactation, the, the whole period of follow-up, there was about the 5% absolute difference uh, between groups with treatment group, the bovicoc uh, dry group, having 5% lower, uh, less uh, mastitis than cows in the control group. Um, no difference in uh, milk production. The, whenever we plotted the milk production throughout lactation, 
it was pretty much one curve on top of each other. So there's no difference there. But there was a, a very exciting results on the clinical mastitis and the subclinical mastitis for those cows. Like I mentioned, uh, we also look into uh, activity and rumination for uh, some of those, some a group of cows in one farm. And what we saw and observed in this study is that cows in the both cow dry group uh, had a 17 minute longer line time than cows in the control group. Uh, although that's not statistically not that exciting uh, biologically because there's not a, a huge difference, but we could, it was pretty consistent that the cows in the both cow, both cow dry group were lying down for longer uh, than um, the cows in the control group. And this is, it was uh, uh, just a, a little uh, sideway here. Uh, sideway here is like I was talking to Dr. Godden which is the AVP president now about these results uh, discussing about it. And she said, like, if you're telling me they're lying down, like it's probably because they're feeling bad and that's why they're lying down and it more than the cause of the control group. Uh, but we could actually somewhat, I could convince her that that wasn't the case because when we look into rumination, there was no difference in rumination uh, when comparing both groups. And if we're looking to what rumination data has been showing us in the in different projects is that if a cow is sick, rumination will go down and you can see a, uh, a significant difference between cows that are healthy. And that was not the case that um, we have. So we have, like I said, in this case, rumination stays the same and those cows that receive both cow dry uh, will uh, lie down for longer. So their hypothesis that we have here uh, and we hopefully get to test that in the future is just showing that those cows are more comfortable, have, they certainly have lower other pressure, which is something that the group in Europe have uh, shown before, so, and have less leakage. So that's probably what's affecting that difference in activity from, for those animals. And then lastly, what I said was uh, very important that we did was economic analysis. And I won't bore you with all the details of it, but we include treatment cost, both tried treatment cost or administration cost, treatment cost for mastitis and milk loss of that and uh, um, feed cost, all that in the, uh, in the partial budget. And at the end, what we, we saw uh, and observed in this data set was uh, about uh, two and a half, almost three to one return on investment. Assuming a cost of a bowl was being $15, we got on average, on when considering all the farms we have in this study, about $43 uh, of return uh, on that investment. So it was a good ratio. This is like the ag economist we were working together said that that was one of the first times she actually had the, uh, the result that went along with the way that we thought it would be. But we also noticed that there was some differences in the different farms and how it uh, uh, behaved. So some farms had a really stellar uh, return on investment, other farms not so much. And we're still trying to look into the data to figure out that and find out what are 
leading to these differences. But on average, so uh, if I was to summarize this very long answer, uh, there was no difference if we look into culture results, but there is a decreased clinical mastitis, decreased subclinical mastitis. There's a, a subtle improvement on welfare, and definitely there was economic advantage on the popula study population that we used. That's, that's really great, uh, Luciano. Thank you for walking us through that study. And we're going to have some links uh, in, our, in our show notes uh, for our listeners to go to for more information and review some of these studies. We'll, we will link those as well as some resources from BI. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, we, you mentioned about lying time and, and, and utter pressure. Um, how does bovacalc dry tie into cow comfort, Kurt? Well, as as Luciano uh, mentioned, in you know, in, in terms of being able to see increased lime time, there's other research that has looked at that as well, and 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 the question of is more lime time a, a good thing has been brought up before, and and so I, I appreciate having the rumination activity to go uh, to go along with that, and there's other studies which you said you'll you'll link to other research in terms of. Um, really no impact on dry matter intake during those first few days after after going dry. And so I, I think we, without a doubt, scientifically, we can't question there's going to be reduced milk production, less utter pressure. Uh, and then along with just a, a mild reduction in appetite, shown to increase line time during the transition that a cow makes from a lactating cow to a dry cow. Um, additionally, uh, you know, line time isn't something that everybody's going to measure, and sometimes the far-off dry cows are, you know, literally or figuratively out in the back 40 where they don't get a lot of attention and observation. But one of the things that we've heard that really gets us excited from producers and herds people is that cows are a lot quieter uh, during the first few days after after making that transition into the far-off dry cow pen and seem to be less anxious, along with what research is telling us is no negative side effects. And what else, you know, this is any transition for a cow, every dairy veterinary knows can be stressful. What else can, can producers do to keep cows healthy and comfortable through that dry period? Yeah, and this is, again, where we highlight the importance of, of veterinarians and working as a, as a team with you know, between veterinarians and producers, you know, possibly other consultants on a farm to minimize stress and maximize cow health. Uh, a broad, you know, comprehensive dry-off protocol typically consists of all or some of the following. I mean, vac vaccination is very common uh, to be done around or at dry-off. And especially if we're talking about utter health in, in terms of Luciano's new research, a coriantogen vaccine that's been shown to reduce the severity of, of gram-negative mastitis during the, the cow's transition. Um, use of a dry cow intramammary treatment, um, whether that's selectively or as a blanket treatment, again, working as a team to understand the risks and rewards of potentially selective dry cow treatment. And uh, then an internal teat sealant to help prevent new infections during the dry period. All great tips. Uh, encourage our listeners to make sure that you're reviewing those procedures and protocols with all of your dairy farms. Uh, Kurt, as we close out here, where else can veterinarians and producers learn more about bovacalc dry? 
Sure. I mean, if you've got a relationship with a veterinarian and, and they've been to some meetings or they've they've heard some of the, the research, certainly visit with them because they know you, they know your operation, and, and that's going to be where you get, um, I, I think, really good advice in terms of your farm and your levels of production and your management. But beyond that, obviously reaching out to your local BI representative, uh, prof- professional services veterinarian like myself, um, and additionally, if you want to do something kind of on your own and, and check some things out, the, the website www.bovacalcdry.com uh, is going to have links to all the research and resources that we've talked about here today. Great. Really appreciate that. And again, we're going to include a lot of those uh, resources and links in our show notes. So I encourage our listeners to to check those out. And, you, you know, I just want to remind everyone that's listening to this podcast that prevention of disease is so much of what we do uh, as veterinarians and want to encourage our listeners to identify the challenges uh, that the cows face uh, on your client's operations and then work to mitigate them. And Bovacow Dry is a product that you can implement on your client's dairy farms to decrease that stress uh, and improve uh, the overall uh, health and welfare of those cows. So encourage you to read those studies uh, and, and so you can be prepared to talk to your producers about Bovacow Dry, as well as other products that might be implemented in the dry-off protocols for your farms. Kurt and Luciano, thank you so much uh, for participating in our podcast today. And again, I want to uh, sincerely thank Berengo Ingelheim, um, not only for supporting this podcast, but also for your support of our meetings uh, and your engagement with our members. Thank you so much. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you. You're welcome.